This is Reclaiming Yourself, brought to you with PhytologyHub.com. How we overcome fears, find our inner strength, and trust ourselves. Now here's your host, Suzanne Keatley. So, Annie Baker, 42? Yes. I'm not sure if you know this, maybe I've already told you this, but you are the inspiration around <laughs> Photology Hub podcast. A massive inspiration because you've got an absolutely massive story to tell. So we might be here for a few hours. Yeah, and yeah. I, am, I certainly might be crying some of the time. <laughs> I'll try not. Um, but yeah, just a, a pretty traumatic couple of years. Yeah, just think you're an amazing human being. But the base of that trauma is hormone positive breast cancer early stages but nonetheless pretty massive journey so where do we start <laughs> how do we uh, start well we started training a long time before the whole cancer yeah, 2017 show started so yeah i had reached my middle years i'd had two children and i was tired and physically not very active and i started doing park run yeah and um, a group of friends with Jean and Ellie yeah. um, and I've never been a sporty person and I was amazed I could run 5k um, and I was amazed I could actually enjoy the experience not of uh, not of actually running but of turning up to park run and getting around and the sort of sense of achievement and realised that strength training was going to help with that, being that. able to keep going with that and maybe get better at that and um, and yes yeah, so 2017 I started training and that was and it was a complete revelation to me that there was this type of exercise you could do where you weren't getting out of breath and exhausted in that sort of running around sense but that mm. I could lift what felt to me like very heavy weights maybe three or four times and have a nice chat and then do it again <laughs> and the sort of combination of the yeah the yeah. sense of achievement of the really significant exertion of lifting the heavy weights but also that that's not the same as going for a run and getting really exhausted and, ever, isn't it? yeah it's a really great feeling and just yeah. going back to the park run the fact like park run you know is not to be sniffed at it's an event that you have to get your butt out of bed every Saturday morning and go out and very scary I would imagine for the first like set of weeks yeah I don't know if I'd have done it if I hadn't have known people yeah um and been being encouraged to do it and meeting people there and mm. I still think if there wasn't anybody there who I was looking forward to seeing I'd be that bit less likely to do it and I think I'd still be thinking oh I'm going to go for a 5k jog at some point today but my trainers would sit there in the hall and I did get distracted with yeah. something and then something else would come up and then I'd have just eaten and then I'd be tired and then the day would have gone so yeah Parkrun yeah. is amazing from that point of view. Then Covid happened and Parkrun wasn't happening and I'd found a training plan online to go from 5k to 10k so I did that and I ran 10k in about 75 minutes in oh, the wow. June of 2020. So I was probably getting towards the fittest I'd ever been. Yeah. Um, and then in July 2020, I had my breast cancer diagnosis. Tell us just about like that moment. Where were you? How did you get yourself to that point? Were you um, in pain? I'd had pain in one breast that I'd had checked out and which... I mean, I'm told that pain is not, it's not a flag for cancer, yeah. although it is in the place where the cancer turned out to be. So I think it's hard to think it wasn't related anyway I then found this a lump um and I arranged straight away to get it checked out um and there were no delays and this was what four months into COVID so I got seen I spoke to the GP they did the referral I was seen within the two weeks um and when I went in to be seen I had a mammogram the 
consultant had checked me over and said, oh, it felt like a cyst and, you know, it's very mobile and very smooth and really like a cyst. So we'd have the mammogram. They might just want to drain it just to check it, but fine. You know, I had the mammogram. Then they asked me to come and have another mammogram mm. in another room. And then there was a bit of waiting around. And then, yes, they wanted to do a biopsy. And the person doing the biopsy explained to me that whatever it was was not a cyst because it was solid, but that could mean, you know, that's just what it was. Yeah. And also my lymph nodes were, uh, there was an enlarged lymph enlarged, node and yeah. a couple of slightly larger lymph nodes on the scan. But, you know, you can have a large lymph node for all sorts of reasons. And honestly, I was lying there. <laughs> Spinning. I was lying there. <laughs> and um, I'd gone by myself, obviously, because it was COVID. And I'd been checked out when I had the pain that was, you know, okay, not really likely to have been. But, you know, I felt like I wasn't expecting a problem. Yeah. Um, and then I was waiting to go back and see the consultant again who said, this is very concerning or anyway, mm. basically, I would need to come back when they had the biopsy results. They couldn't tell me anything for definite. I should bring somebody with me. Oh, God. And I mean, and I just felt like just couldn't believe it, yeah. really. I was just in there thinking, but, but I've got two kids and I've just started a new job and I'm just like, and I'm how does this fit in with I'm, my life? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, the whole, everybody I've come across at the cancer centre has just been wonderful. And he was great and explained, you know, you don't have to work all this out now. The next step is you come back for the results next week. Um, and I think it was a, that was a Wednesday and we were going on holiday on the Saturday and it was a camping trip. Right. So we changed. We were going to go down to Devon. So, COVID, so lockdown had been slightly lifted slightly, by the yeah. So we yeah, summer, yeah. And, and we were where is that centre, Ariane? Guys, uh, guys, guys. Sorry, yeah. I was going to be able to get the results that week. I don't think I knew when, but one day that following week. So instead of going to Devon, we went to somewhere very close to the M25, <laughs> okay. and it ended up being the Friday of the following week. So we were with some friends, and we left the kids with them. Both came back together to guys which is when it was definitely definitely breast cancer definitely in the lymph node that they'd done a biopsy from so not super early but and I would need to have more tests to see whether it had spread anywhere else so then I had an MRI I think to get a more detailed picture of the breast situation and I had a PET scan I think Mm. um, at St Thomas's then they discovered there was actually more than one area of cancer in the breast, so I had to go back and have more biopsies. Um, fortunately, there wasn't a sign of anything anywhere other than the lymph nodes in the okay. breast, but it was not just one area in my breast, so I was going to need a mastectomy and not... Sometimes they can just do a lumpectomy, and then okay. that's obviously much yeah. less invasive, and, yeah. um, and I still don't really understand the ins and outs of, of why different orders happen for different people. But I had chemotherapy starting then very soon after that. The idea of that being it might shrink the Existing. cancer in the lymph nodes okay. so that I didn't have to have as extensive surgery under my arm. And I think sometimes they do it because if you've just got one area of cancer and it's shrunk down more, again, they could do less surgery mm. in your breast maybe. Yeah. But I think I think by the time they'd done the extra scans... It was obvious I would need a mastectomy, pretty much whatever, I think. It's all a bit of a blur. Yeah, um, well, that was my next question, is because you've had to deal with so much since those days. 
have you gone back to those days? I guess the day of diagnosis. You, yeah, you a bit. That. I mean, I do think about it quite a lot still. Yeah. And we had to tell the children what was going on. At the time, they were, my son was eight, my daughter was 10. And um, obviously, when I'd gone in initially, I just that just seemed totally routine. And then even when I had that initial kind of news, it didn't seem definitive enough or to have enough information mm. there to say much or anything. And it was such a shock to me at the time. And I was going to get more results a week later. So okay. it was after I'd had those, um, the proper diagnosis, we got back to the campsite and told the kids just immediately because it was, yeah. you know, they knew I'd been to hospital. Yeah. Um, and that is the single hardest thing I've ever had to do. And um, they were amazing. I mean, it was a, it was a shock to them. Yeah. The advice, I mean, it was... How did you present it? After having the diagnosis, when they, when you've got the biopsy results and my husband was with, with me, you get your diagnosis and then you then you go to a room with a breast care nurse and, you know, they look after you. You know, you're, you're allowed to yeah. have the information sink in and they give you the literature to go away and read. And, and so we could talk to somebody. And there's a centre called the Dimbleby Centre at the cancer centre so that I also went and spoke to somebody in there before we left just to ask about advice on talking <laughs> yeah, to children uh, about yeah. it and one of the things is that um, sometimes if you talk to children about things separately because obviously they've got different personalities and they're different ages and you might but if you talk to them about it separately and they then speak to each other because even if you've said exactly the same thing they might have understood it differently there's a there's the potential for them to think they've been told different things. Yes, and then the then there's not an adult there when they're talking about it to each other, and that could be. So I thought, yeah, that makes okay. absolutely sense. We'll tell them together. But so then of course, seems so simple. Right? Seems but so simple. But then of course so they react quite differently, and they've got yeah. quite different questions, and then they've also got to absorb what the other person is asking. Like, are you going to die, mummy? That is not a question you want to hear no. your sibling asking, oh, right? Especially yeah. if it, anyway. Oh, so, so one sibling's asking that, and the other one, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, that was a really difficult thing to do. And the answer at that point was what we knew already is that there are amazing medicines yeah. that can help people. And there are two things that might have happened. I might have discovered that I had a cancer that could be cured and I might discover that I had a cancer that could be treated. So yep. we're going to find out which of those paths we're going down. And that's and, and, and then there's all these amazing positive. medicines. Yeah. And, that is, yep. and that is also the facts as well as being yes. positive so yeah. it has quite often been helpful to look at things through my children's eyes actually because when you look at just the facts of it it is all it's amazing it's so it's so amazing and miraculous what they can do now so that was the yeah. discussion that we had and then then once I knew that there was no spread it means that the cancer is curable although nobody really knows if they're cured until they've died of something else so it's <laughs> Jesus. how did you go from there did you sit with your friends did you just get in your tent and yeah we just spent cry, the rest of like the day the... I don't yeah Coping. just hanging out the way we would have done yeah. and what else are you gonna do and the kid you know it was just fine and you were just trying to kind of yeah I'm gonna get on with normal life because yeah. that's all I can do right now yeah. in this moment and yeah. try and enjoy yeah the space I'm in and I mean it probably yeah. was more on autopilot than yeah I think over time, a def- I mean, the only logical response to all of this is to just appreciate today. Not even in the context of a cancer diagnosis, but actually, that's just a good way to live life, I think. You'll probably so, come back to this, because I think you were talking about this to me before, about suddenly seeing the colour and everything, and yeah. the joy in just the smallest things, and yep. you know, lifting a weight up felt 
you know, a hundred times yeah. better than it did before, even if it yeah. was a lighter weight or whatever it was. Well, just the, just the, the sense pleasure of, of feeling my body working is just yeah. phenomenal. It's double-edged, isn't it? There's the, the fear that has come with my diagnosis and there is the pleasure of this other stuff which has come because of the fear, really. Mm. So yeah. I'd like to lose the fear and keep the other stuff. Keep the other, keep the so, yeah. colour and the light and the, yeah. and the fun. Okay. What was the next step? So was, was it straight into chemo then? Yeah, so, that, yeah, so yeah. Th- it was the very end of July I got my diagnosis and then, well, the, I'd originally gone and then early August I got the definite diagnosis and then test through August and then chemo started at the beginning of September. And I came in to see you in August and we had a training session. I think that was before I had the, my, still everything was still super unknown about, you know, how extensive was it all. Um, and then when chemo started... I forget where we were with various... Lo- I think things were just starting to ease up a little bit in September, weren't they? And then we all went back into... Back again. And obviously I was being... You know, one of the things with chemo is you've got to be really careful because your immune system is being blasted. Yeah. And the kids were back at school, which was great for them and, and actually, you know, gave us a bit of space. And mm. But yeah, kind of looking after my health, it was tricky. In the cancer centre, nobody had anybody with them. Everybody was going it. But own. in fact, apart from, I mean, there were a couple of doctor's appointments I've had where I was allowed to bring somebody because it was getting results. Okay. Everything else has been just me going in. But the doctors and nurses and all of the mm. staff are so caring. Yeah. And in a way, I could go in and ask all of my questions, often probably quite bonkers, mad questions, <laughs> and be very frightened. Yeah. And express all of that to the doctors yeah. and then come back, back and be me again and without I guess, anybody else that, yeah. to observe that. Yeah. might not be a bad thing. Yeah, no, it might not be a bad thing. But also when you've got two children and you're managing life, you know, if it was just the two of you and having space to go and do appointments, like yeah. children I, need you, one of you. Yes, and my husband did, yeah, he just completely picked up everything. Mm-hmm. And we were both working from home. Yeah. And I was at, initially with chemo, I was on two week cycles and I was able to work for one of those weeks. And then I would have the chemo and need a week and then could work again for several cycles. That was great. Then I started to get, I think I had a UTI first of all. And then I had to do four cycles of the first type of chemo I was having. And then I was going to have four cycles of a second type of chemo. And the first cycle of the second type of chemo had to be delayed because of the UTI. And then when I had it, a few days later, I got a mysterious high temperature. And the rule with chemo is if you get, if you start feeling unwell, you've got a special hotline to call and you get seen quite, you, know, you go into A&E and they decide because they're worried that people could get sepsis while, they've, while their right. immune system is so low. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm just so far from being an expert in all this. Anyway, that is what I think it's the your, protocol You can only is. tell your, your version of <laughs> My understanding of how all this works. Yeah. So I got this high temperature and I'd taken the kids into school and come home and thought, oh, I should, it's a bit, I've got a bit of a high temperature. I, I should phone up. And I just sort of dozed on the sofa. With, and I thought, oh God, it's 12 o'clock. So I think I was a bit out of it really. Mm. Anyway, they got me to go into A&E, which I did. And then if you go, and then what they want to do is observe you and give you an immediate drip of antibiotics, which was, that was fine. That was a Monday. Came home next day. I had another temperature. Rang up back to A and E. I mean, and I'm you know I'm getting uh, a taxi to A and E, and I'm not that keen to be in a car with somebody I don't yes, know. Yes, because and my question around this now the threat of COVID 
Had it been in your house already or that you know No, none of us had had COVID. Um, Obviously, there weren't any vaccines at that point. There weren't any lateral flow tests. So right through till December, it didn't feel... I mean, the kids were Mm. coming home. We were getting the kids to get changed as soon as they got home, wash their hands when they got home. If they'd have been at all unwell, it wouldn't have been me who was managing that, that... trying to keep a little bit of distance. And I, I was, we've got a spare room, so I was sleeping in the spare room anyway because I was my sleep was quite disturbed okay. from all the steroids and things I was taking with the chemo. And I was making sure that was all really well ventilated and it sort of made sense that actually sharing a room full of air with other people is probably not very sensible. If there is COVID going around, yeah. I would sort of take myself off. Did, did so that we impact that. how tactile you were with your children at that point or was it? Possibly. Because... It, got, it got worse because when I started getting these temperatures... I had three three days with these temperatures and I was going into A&E. It started to get difficult to find a vein, which I'm really squeamish about that kind of thing. Mm. That wasn't very enjoyable. Um, by the end of the week, they basically said, we think you need to be admitted and have IV antibiotics and let's, get, let's deal with whatever is going on. Mm. I was in for four nights and, and in hospital, I was thinking a lot of people now like yeah not in my spare room hospitals don't aren't you know they haven't got windows that can open and there's obviously really good protocols and everyone's in masks and that's the other thing you never see anybody's face which is all a bit weird i did feel a bit vulnerable about covid in hospital but i didn't feel super anxious and you know obviously i needed to be there to have the antibiotics and they never i never had any signs of infection other than a temperature and it's possible it was a reaction to the drugs okay so i switched onto a different chemo drug after that it didn't have the same problem again so whatever it was was whatever it was but almost as soon as I had recovered from that there was a case of covid in my eldest class at school and some children who were close contacts were sent home my daughter wasn't a close contact so she was at school and school rang me to tell me so you know they were really good at knowing that this was going to be a worrying thing for us um and we at that point decided I would isolate from everybody and so at that point I lived in the spare room oh god it wasn't as bad as as it feels like it should have been Mm. because I still was I was happy to be outside with the children so I would still come outside meet them outside and walk them to school and I could still go and meet them and bring them back I just wasn't spending any time indoors with them and I would you know talk to them from the top of the stairs so they were I was present yeah but yeah I wasn't being tactile I think that was early December my chemo was every Friday at that was weekly at that point and every Friday and Christmas Eve was a Friday and that was also a week from when they had finished school for the end of term so we decided if we get to Christmas Eve they'll have had a week home from school so that'll give us a bit of a buffer I'll have my chemo because you know, it's not it wasn't really worry about getting COVID I was never terribly you know just, we all feel invincible even in those yeah. situations where yeah. I didn't feel like oh I'll get COVID and that'll be a problem for the sake of having COVID I felt like I'll get COVID and I won't be able to go into hospital to have my chemo and how long would that last for and how long would that gap be and I found that terrifying so mm. um, anyway we thought well Christmas Eve chemo come home the kids will have had a week of no contact with anybody else. So that is when the four of us, we all had Christmas together. Um, I've got a lovely picture of me in my blonde wig and I drew, I drew eyebrows on for Christmas Day and I put fake lashes on and I look slightly unhinged <laughs> and, and overdone up. But um, yeah, had we had you a lost your Christmas hair Day. by that point? Yeah, I lost my hair yeah. um, in... I'd lost my hair by October. It was quite long 
and I had it cut into a bob mm. when I knew I was having chemo and then it started getting really thin and didn't really upset me at falling out and I, I think for some people it can be quite painful and, okay. and uncomfortable I didn't have any issues that I remember around that but I, it did just look wrong mm. to me so I went to the barbers and they shaved it all off for me and that looked okay. much and actually when it was shaved off it still looked you could see still see my hair yeah, yeah. and then obviously over, and I still had eyebrows and eyelashes at that point yeah and really the thing I didn't like was losing my eyelashes in particular because I don't like the feeling of false lashes and I looked very odd I think without eyebrows but they're easy enough to draw on um well, I say easy <laughs> knows what it looked like but you can draw them on um when I was trying wigs on everything that was similar to my hair was just different enough that I really didn't like it whereas right. short blonde hair you just went a bit great. wild with it yeah why not <laughs> and it looked really different and then um, and that was fine yeah and yeah. The, the kids seemed to quite like totally different hair I think and I, I took photos of me in all these different wigs and that is the yeah. sort of thing that I think could have been if I could have had somebody with me for that sort of thing there might have been more fun moments in amongst it than having to... Yeah. It was a shame not to have... Not to be able to do that with somebody. But yeah, I've got my pictures and stuff. Then what happened in January was there was a news story about urgent cancer surgery being cancelled at King's. Mm. And I knew it was going to be a question of finishing chemo, having more scans to see what things looked like, and then having the surgery the ASAP. That okay. was the plan. And I was really alarmed at the idea that these would be urgent fun. surgeries yeah. weren't going to happen because... Then what, you know, I was wondering, yeah. what is the plan then to, to stop this thing yeah, yeah. carrying on? But it all went ahead. And and when I spoke to the hospital about it, they were very reassuring. They had plans. They'd okay. already, the vaccines had started then. So they were telling me that their staff were all, you know, yeah. starting to be protected. And they had various theatre plans. And yeah, it was all, it was all fine. So that all went ahead um, middle of February. And so through, through chemo, until I got the weird high temperatures, I was training online I think twice a week with Bayer mm. for about half an hour yeah each time it took it down to half an hour yeah and then just and then just once a week yeah but even all through when I was isolating from everybody else in the house I could do that online yeah it just gave I mean I'm sure it was really good for me physically yeah but it just gave me a sense of control and yeah. being able to do something just to clarify Bayer is one of our trainers who actually moved to Helsinki just before yeah. that and still works and still trains people online. But yeah, we the plan was to try, even if it was minimal movement, yes. to try and keep you moving, keep yeah. you with some level of strength that you yeah. were comfortable with. And yeah. you were able to like negotiate and talk and plan yeah. that with Bea and yeah. just con- continually manage yeah. that together. What and she was brilliant, you know, she's yeah. such a lovely, calming <laughs> yeah yeah reassuring person um and so that was it was nice to feel my body working through all of that mm. and um very good for my mental health I think because one of the things that was really hard when I was having surgery was the rules at that time were that you had to completely isolate for two weeks before surgery which meant no going out for oh, walks yeah. and I found that really hard because the other thing that I'd been doing as well as the sessions with Bea was walking really regularly with lovely lovely friends who were willing to let me talk and talk and talk <laughs> yeah. um about what I was feeling and what was going on and hopefully a bit about them to you but you know yeah. really nice 
and walking on my own as well yeah. Yeah, it's very meditative isn't yeah, it and you don't have to amazing. go fast yeah. and you can observe the seasons and the weather and be a bit out of your own yeah. head and even you know two weeks is not that long but I found that so hard mm. and then when I had the first surgery the surgery was to have a mastectomy and also to take a sample of lymph nodes I think you couldn't tell from the scans maybe whether they still had any cancer in or not so the lymph nodes were taken and three of them were taken and three of them were sampled. And when I got the results, well, three of them still had cancer in. Ugh. And I did think of it before I had the results, but I hadn't been thinking about it for the whole time that I was knowing this, the surgery was coming, which was that if the cancer was there, they were going to have to go back and take the rest of my lymph nodes under my arm. Mm-hmm. So another surgery. And Do you want to explain what lymph nodes do? Uh, well, I can try. So it turns out that you have a system in your body, a lymphatic system, which is a bit like your cardiovascular system, except that instead of pumping blood around your body, it's pumping lymph fluids around your body, which is all to do with your immune system and sort of... I knew so little about it. I sort of thought, well, what is this lymph? Is it just sort of sloshing around everywhere? And No, you've got yeah. lymph vessels that I guess are yeah. a bit like veins. and so, so the lymph nodes, are. you know, you've got glands in your... Under your jaw, yeah, 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 your sort of throat area, yeah. and you've got some under your arms, and you've got them in your groin. Yep. You've probably got them everywhere, but those are the so kind of typically. Yeah. If you've got breast cancer and it's spread to your lymph nodes, it's spread to the lymph nodes that go in your. I think axilla is the technical term for your armpit. Um, yeah. So, it, how many lymph nodes are affected is a prognostic tool, and okay. I knew that the one lymph node had definitely had cancer cells in it. I knew that there were two other lymph nodes that looked like. They were slightly inflamed, so stood to reason they might have done too. I was hoping that after all the chemo, there would be no cancer. And when it came back that it was three out of three, I felt a bit like, well, what, what, how many of these nodes are going to have? Yeah, exactly. So could you feel that? Even when I went in and and had the very initial examination and all the initial stuff, the, the doctor couldn't feel any swollen oh. lymph nodes. It's only on the scan that I had where the lymph okay. nodes were visible. But then when they knew it was there, they could feel it. And I could feel it when I knew it was there. I think it was a centimetre it measured, the one, wow. the one that the biggest one. So then I had to go back and have another surgery, which was three weeks after the first one. So that was a week. And so then you back had into the isolation all over again. Yeah. And then you had to go in three weeks later where they went into the... And took all of the lymph nodes. And actually, the mastectomy, to my mind, was quite a superficial surgery. Yeah. Taking the lymph nodes is much more invasive wow. and is what has left me with longer term effects. This is on your right side on my, on my and right your side. right arm. Yeah. Yeah. And when they took all the lymph nodes and tested them all, there was no more cancer. It was just the three. So it was great. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Thank God. Right. So that was brilliant. Getting the results from the first surgery and being then plunged straight back into isolation, not being able to go for a walk and not knowing the uncertainty again. And, yeah. Oh. yeah, I found that really difficult. And then I was getting better. So it was all good. And then the next mm. thing was radiotherapy and hormone therapy, which I started in the April. The radiotherapy was just three weeks of turning up and lying in a particular position. You get have exercises to do after the surgery to try to make sure you've got your arm mobility back so that you can get be in the right position for mm-hmm. the radiotherapy. And I started hormone therapy. So because my cancer is hormone positive, it is kind of the cancer was feeding on estrogen, for want of a better yeah. phrase. And yeah. then so my hormone therapy is long term and at the moment it's monthly injections that suppress my ovaries from releasing estrogen and then tablets that stop any other tissue. And I think normally when you 
reach menopause and your ovaries stop producing estrogen, you've still got a little bit being produced by your fat cells yeah. and your liver. And my body, hopefully, is not producing any estrogen because the tablets the are stopping. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the radiotherapy was fine. I had a bit my sort of sunburn type rash and mm. um, not even, you know, marks, sort of red marks. And it was a bit sore, but no problem. And I couldn't swim, I don't think. Um, but other than that, I was back to swimming after the surgery, which was a lo- really nice, really, you know, that sort of breaststroke yeah. feeling of stretching and moving was really lovely. And was that part of you going, that's part of my recovery, I'm going to use swimming as my yeah. my thing? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. also swimming felt quite safe because yeah. the pool had a great one-way system where you, you turned up, like already changed, just so you'd had to take your clothes mm. off at the side of the pool. Yeah. It already in your swimming togs, do your swimming, get out, and you only go to the changing rooms on the way out. So it was actually those yeah. quicker and easier. I didn't even need to remember a pound for lockers. The whole thing just felt, <laughs> and the and it, it was all bookable, and the numbers were managed, so it didn't feel, you know, it felt very COVID secure. And yeah, it was a really nice feeling to feel. My shoulder mobility didn't get back to normal for a little while. Mm. I couldn't, if I put my hands behind my head, I couldn't reach my elbow to the floor. But I mean, it, there wasn't a point where there was movement daily life movement I couldn't do yeah but I really wanted to get back to that to both arms being able to do the same yeah. thing so I yeah, did swimming is perfect yeah yes yeah, so that was good and I had exercises to do and I was seeing a physio at guys um, who was absolutely brilliant and again I'm probably a bit muddled about the order of things but I wanted I wanted to get back to doing exercise yeah once you've had your lymph nodes removed you're at lifelong risk of a thing called lymphedema which is where because these nodes have been removed the lymph system isn't working in that area as well as it would have done and lymph fluid can just get kind of trapped and you can end up with a very swollen arm or I mean for people who've had different sorts of cancer it might be lymph nodes in their groin and then you can have a swollen leg or so it's hand and arm could get swollen or I've got mild lymphedema in my trunk um, and sort of uh, around my armpit area Um, and I think sometimes it can affect people's necks and anyway really wasn't sure what I could do that wasn't going to make that what that happen or, or you know trigger it or and I also was a little bit uncertain about my body sort of responding from the radiotherapy and mm. you know I was nerv- nervous really about moving and I, I'd gone out for some tentative jogs I was really conscious that when I was jogging I was sort of carrying myself in a sort of hunched way and sort of the first time I did it I realized I was actually holding my arm over my over my chest yeah is a sort of protect I don't know kind of protective feeling I guess anyway I learned that there was a thing called a safe fit trial which I think is a Macmillan thing with a university might be Southampton University anyway I did that which was again online training with an amazing trainer who had some cancer rehabilitation experience and again and that, and that stuff that was three sessions a week initially wow. very gentle yeah. all totally tailored to helping with my arm mobility and stuff and then it became once a week and then once a month so I think it was about six months in total of some kind of contact but Brilliant. tailing off and yeah. it really helped me get my confidence back and I started running I thought right I'm going to run 10k again because I did that just before I was diagnosed and I had been trying to jog so um park run had obviously stopped but yeah. I was when when we were allowed to meet and I think it was groups of up to six yeah we were meeting in the park and doing not park run and I was often walking but it was lovely to Just see to from do. a distance yeah. the same faces and yeah. say hi and yeah. catch up and um and so, so that create was a version of absolutely that, right? brilliant yeah. yeah 
So I've been doing stuff, but I tried, I thought I would try my 10K training program again. And I got as far as running 6K and my hip was really aching. I've got very achy joints from the menopause type symptoms. But that's all, that's both my feet, both my ankles, both my knees. This one hip hurting thing I didn't like at all. And it made me feel very nervous about what was going on. Anyway, I spoke to the physio who I was seeing about my shoulder at the cancer centre. And she said, well, after the chemo, your leg strength might just not, be there and if you don't really want to be running they've got a little gym in the cancer center there's a leg press machine and I yeah I just I mean I couldn't move (laughs) I just had very feeble leg strength at the time Mm. and um, and so they gave me a strength training program for I think six weeks and at the end of that they said yep go back to the gym and the trainer said to me you know free weights best thing you can do yeah. much better than gym machines even because you you know you're having to yeah. use your body to stabilize and all that so that's when I just felt completely like I'd be back at photology and yeah and I did some sessions that were just me and a trainer and that was brilliant with Julie and then and then I think by January I felt yeah. confident enough to do classes and I just think I'm probably not as strong as I was yet but yeah. I'm getting yet. there amazing that you've managed to sustain some level and and yeah again like just surround yourself and seek the the help and the support and get your confidence back it's amazing yeah and it's amazing that all of that experience what you guys did to help me was brilliant and the the fact that these other services yeah and are there offers are there and i just feel incredibly grateful and some of those are sort of formal things but the informal stuff of of the friends i was meeting to go and do Mm. not park run and walks with and and how like exercise is a key part of going from not exercising it when what when you were like 38 37 not really exercising to it being your um almost not your saving grace but to i think there is really good evidence that exercise reduces the risk of cancer recurrence so Mm. that evidence exists and i think it's been shown to reduce the risk by about a third which you know, wow. if there were drugs that were doing that, I would be doing everything I could oh, to access that. Yeah. And yeah. Um, this is so, you know, just put your trainers on and go and do something. That yeah. is so so simple. Having been through such an intense thing as cancer treatment, I'm somebody who likes a plan. And my, <laughs> the oncologist I saw was so lovely and it identified that I was somebody who liked a plan and was reminding me that, you know, things don't always go, you know, that this is a plan that is going to change. And of course, it, there were things that meant it changed. But so I, I accepted it changed, but I still had my plan. I just <laughs> put it, I just used post-it notes for where the treatments were okay. so I could move them. Oh, <laughs> so it was a plan that was amazing. a flexible plan. And yeah. I had that up on my wall in the spare room. Oh, wow. um, and what what I then replaced that with was my plan for exercise, which I see yes. as, the, okay. as the same thing. Um, as, and it and gives me a sense of control. And actually, mm. I think the thing it does most of all is it helps with my well-being and my mental health. Yeah. And it, it actually that is actually the most important thing. And I wouldn't, mm. I would hate to have to give it up now. Obviously, I hope the whole cancer chapter is a closed chapter soon. And then once it's a closed chapter I would like the fear to gradually recede but I would like the motivation to keep exercising to stay and I hope it will do and I like this sort of that seeing life in brighter colors and experiencing joy in a more noticeable you know appreciating all of that stuff I'd like to keep that too but not but not the not the fear side Mm. so that was the end of that was that should have been the end of all of my treatment yes it should have been it should have been um 
But right at the start, I had asked about genetic testing because I thought this is, I'm much too young to have cancer. And this is, you know, why has this happened to me? And I was, you know, seemed obvious that it would be sensible to get checked out. And I did, you know, they referred me to the genetic service and my family history doesn't have enough cancer in it to suggest that there would be a high enough risk for me to have one of the genetic mutations that is a predisposition to cancer. So I was told I couldn't have the testing and I didn't like that because I felt like my family is pretty small and I know that from what I've read, you know, these, you can have these mutations and they don't mean you're necessarily going to get cancer. And also a lot of them are to do with cancers that are much, you know, ovarian cancer and breast cancer. So if the cancer, if these genes are in the male side of your family at any point, they're going to be less visible as well because they are associated, some of them are associated with prostate cancer, but there's a much less increased risk of prostate cancer than there is with breast cancer. So you're not going to see it as much. And if you don't have a big family and you don't know the family medical history of people... And why you don't have back. a big family generation. So do, what are the numbers So there's, um, in terms of your family and Oh, mom? so I, I'm an only child. Yeah. My mum's got two sisters. My dad has a brother. But all of my grandparents only have one sibling. Right. Or, apart from one. So whereas... I mean, I don't think I don't think it's a tiny, tiny family that I've got. No, but it, it's not huge. No. Okay. Um, whereas in my husband's family, there are. And for further, when you go further back, you you would think you're here gonna hear larger numbers, just because of yeah. But of course, you don't have time, any but... medical history from people. Yeah. Beyond. So yeah, our grandparents' exactly. age is people who, you know, our great grandparents. I don't know, were there even antibiotics at that time? You know, yeah. and people weren't, you know, childbirth, you know, all sorts of reasons. People were dying much younger and, yeah. and there just isn't um, good information. So I felt like I know that in amongst people who are diagnosed with my sort of cancer, age 40 or less, I think 12% of them have one of these genetic mutations. Yeah. And that's a big statistical pool of which I'm definitely a part. And then we're making a decision about me based on a very small number of data points mm. in my family. I mean, I just don't think you'd make a medical or any kind of scientific decision based on so little yeah. data because, of, you know, my family, the sample size is tiny, basically. Yes. So maybe I'm wrong about that. But I don't think so. Anyway, I've written to my MP. Yes, you've written to your MP. <laughs> well, I think they should change the rules for who is allowed. And do you genetics. think it's financial? I think it is a financial thing. I think also the testing is probably getting cheaper. Mm. I think it's becoming more clinically relevant. I imagine in hopefully a short amount of time, the situation will be different because it will have got that much cheaper to do these tests and yeah. or it will be that much more clinically important. But And it will come um, into the preventative rather than... Yeah, I mean, the ideal thing would be to test everybody mm. super early, but I just felt like after I'd had the cancer diagnosis... At least. I felt yeah, then yeah. then it was that's a red, yeah. enough of a red flag that I could... Anyway, yeah, it okay. bothered me and I decided I would get this test done privately I was thinking, I don't know why I didn't get around to it earlier. I mean, there was a lot going on. Mm. Uh, so I, I organised that and I got the results a couple of weeks before I was going to have my very final oncology appointment just to follow up on how the radiotherapy had been and get signed off. So I was really fortunate that I still had an oncology appointment. You know, I had somebody to talk to about it quite quickly yeah. in my, in because my, I'd organised it privately and that, that, you know, that was all great and I had you know excellent counseling as part of that process but what I wanted was to be back in my in my treatment center 
talking to the same doctors who'd been treating me already. So yeah. I knew the chances of me having one of these mutations was low. I just thought it wasn't something I wanted not to explore. So I certainly wasn't expecting it to be positive. I just thought we shouldn't leave that stone unturned. Um, and I, it turns out that I have a BRCA2 genetic mutation. Um, and everybody has BRCA2 genes. Okay. But there's something, and you've got a pair of them, but there is something wrong with one of mine. And for anybody with a BRCA2 mutation, you're much more likely to get breast cancer. You're a bit more, well, quite a lot more likely to get ovarian cancer, although the risk is a lot lower. Mm. And there's a small risk of pancreatic cancer compared to the general population. And I think those are the only ones. And and if you're a man, you've got an increased risk of prostate cancer. But breast cancer is the big Big increased risk. Obviously, at the time, I still had my healthy breast and I still had ovaries and, and obviously it you know you went uh, into this meeting going oh it was yeah here's my piece of paper yeah I was I was I was quite shaken up by it um yeah and my oncologist and I'd phoned up and I'd spoken to the breast care nurses about it so they knew before I arrived Mm, (laughs) I didn't really want to talk about my radiotherapy as was as was the plan I had this whole um other thing now and they referred me straight into the genetics team so I was able to speak to somebody quite quickly. Okay. They arranged a second mastectomy. I saw that I was back seeing the breast surgeon again, had the second mastectomy by the end of, or middle of August had had that. And there was, that all gets checked out. So there was no cancer in my other breast. Yeah. But, and and so the, the idea there is to remove second breast because of the high risk because yeah. of the gene. Yes. But in fact, mm. really, when I was initially <clears throat> going through the first conversations about the surgery I was going to need, I was asking about, you know, why don't you take them both at once? <laughs> Just yeah. get, get this done with them. And, and there, there is a preference not to take healthy tissue. Fine. I felt like I might prefer to be symmetrical and I might not want to have any risk. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're still tight. They can't totally get rid of the breast tissue, but you've obviously got a significant... Without the genetic stuff, I wouldn't have had a hugely increased risk of a new cancer in my non-cancer side okay but I would still have had the same risk at least that anybody else has I yeah. just didn't ever want to have those conversations with my kids again or yeah I mean I could, there's no way of guaranteeing you're not going to get cancer again but that yeah. felt to me like quite a simple thing that could be done that at least just took that out of the equation and actually I could not bother with a bra anymore and yeah. I wouldn't be having to have mammograms and scans and yeah. results and I didn't that all sounded very stressful and not yeah. terribly reassuring yeah. So and anyway, I was told that it and would aesthetically be... you might want to just remove both, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I d- yeah. massively. Pref- I mean, obviously, in an ideal world, I would like not to have yeah, needed to have a mastectomy, but having needed one, my preference, physic, in terms of aesthetics, even, I'm happier yeah. having had two, two yeah. the double mastectomy. Yeah. But reconstruction was an offer straight away. I could have had a reconstruction when I had the mastectomy. Um. If I would, if I were to have an implant, I would have had to have it there and then before the radiotherapy. And the fact that I didn't do that means I can't have an implant on that side now because oh, radiotherapy right. affects your skin in a way that means mm-hmm. reconstruction with an implant isn't possible. So I can still have reconstruction using my own tissue, but that is like a seven-hour surgery or something. And it mm. obviously would, I think, they're really likely to take tissue that's abdominal tissue. So then you've got to recover from that abdominal surgery. You know, we're talking yeah. probably months. And a seven-hour opera. I mean, I just think my body could do without all yeah. of that. And really, it's not going to give me a breast back. I do feel a little bit like the system is all designed to sort the reconstruction out 
and not designed to support what feels to me like the quite obvious decision to just have the double mastectomy, yeah. please. Yeah. And maybe, like I say, maybe down the line I will want that reconstructive surgery, but at the moment I can't see it. And body image-wise, you know, it's just fine, really. Mm. I don't know. I've, I've, always, I've never had the sort of figure that you would see in magazines. I've always had the sort of figure that is more like what you might see in a sort of marble statue in a museum that's the sort of shape of figure i've got and now that statue is just a bit bit different bit bashed about and there's bits missing Fitter. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and it's that's nice to feel solid yeah and like your body is done and recovered from and yeah like where are you now so that was 2020 june was the, no june was the the 10k july was the diagnosis yeah. and we are now may 2022 yeah so i'm on my hormone treatment still i have an infusion every six months for a mm. treatment that is strengthening my bones. Okay. Um, and that's for three years. So I'm about to have my third one. Uh, that's every six months. I have my third one in a week or two. And because of the BRCA information, I'm taking a targeted drug that um, evidence shows that is helpful because it can somehow target those cells that are missing the, the BRCA gene. Wow. And I'm okay. taking those medicines for that medicine for a year. So I'll finish that in September. And then once I finish that, then I can have preventative surgery for my ovaries. So my ovaries will be removed, hopefully. And then once my ovaries are done, then I won't need the injections anymore because the injections are just to stop my ovaries working. And so then I will have just the tablets to take that are doing that extra suppression of the estrogen for 10 years or more, you know, bring it on as far as I'm concerned. Bring it on. <laughs> Keep taking that for it. I mean, yeah. there's a balance because obviously if you don't have any oestrogen, mm. there's kind of cardiovascular health stuff and other things that oestrogen's known to help with. Yeah. But for my, you know, it's really a positive thing for me to be thinking about, well, actually when I'm 70, I'd like good cardio health. Yeah. Yes, I would. Yeah, um, but exactly. I'd also like to be 70. Yeah. So the cancer is my big sort of... That's that your, is the, your goal, your target. So yeah. when I'm 50, I guess I'll have to have a meeting with somebody, I imagine, to tell me whether I can carry on taking those or stop taking them. But yeah. that is the... But really, when once I've had the ovary surgery, that will be all of my all of my treatment done. And really, as long as the breast cancer never comes back, and that is the most likely thing, yeah. as long as that doesn't happen, then maybe this is the thing that meant I found out about the BRCA before I got ovarian cancer, which is much harder to detect earlier. And this is the thing that means my kids will know if they want to get tested, they can be tested and they can look after them. They can, you know, you don't have to have preventative surgeries even. You can just have lots of scans and just know, you know, find this stuff out early. Yeah. Um, And you probably have a choice then to take the same drugs that you're on or is that not? Science will hopefully have, yeah. you know, who knows what magic will be possible by that stage. So, um, one evening we were training, and I was talking about um, when women go through the menopause, you lose the strength in the arches of your feet, and as a result, um, the kind of arch drops down, and there's could potentially be pain and change of shape in your feet and ankles and stuff. And you spoke about this whole idea in terms of like the loss of estrogen and what's going on in your ankles do you remember this yes we tell me because it was it was a really good way around it was a physio that supported you yeah in this i went into menopause with the chemo before i even started the yeah. hormone treatment because i can remember getting out of bed and just that really painful feet like just walk into the bathroom was sort of hobbling along yeah. um 
And my thoughts about it were this pain, what like that felt like what is wrong? Not I wasn't worried from a cancer perspective, but like what is wrong with my joints that this pain is happening? And I don't think they really know. I think um is I, I think it might be that estrogen plays some part in how our bodies manage pain. So it might be that I'm feeling pain just because the estrogen isn't there, but there's not a real, mm. it's not because there's a problem with the joints that feel painful. Anyway, I did find it, I mean, it, it really is a bit of a jolt of, oh, my body is not functioning the way it once did. And it, you know, you, you don't move and, you know, I get, when I get up off this sofa, I'm sort yeah. of, I'm peeling myself. Yeah. It's not a good feeling. And I said this to the physio who I was seeing after my radiotherapy. And she said to think about it as it's the inactivity that is, that is the bit that it's because you've been sitting down, not because you were active before you sat. Because I was thinking, God, I go for a run and then I sit down and I stand up and I can hardly move. This is horrible. And, you know, actually it's the sitting down bit. Not that you shouldn't sit down, but just it's not about the activity. And I'm sure that that, I mean, that's definitely for me a much more positive it's a great way to Spin look at it, isn't it? And, it. and anybody who's in like pain and thinking, oh, I just need to rest and I just need to, which you know that that's valid and sometimes we do, but yeah, but it's that movement. I, is, don't know. I try and think of it now as a good sort of pain, and, this, and partly yeah. in that it makes me, my medication is working, and also that <laughs> yeah. it's a sign that I've done stuff that day, and, and it's really good for me to do stuff. And I mean, I think I've been really lucky as well with the menopause side of things, and you know, I get hot flushes and I get the joint pains, but I'm sure. Whether it's entirely luck or also partly how active I've been able to be, you know, it's important. But it's certainly, definitely being active has helped me feel positive yeah. about it. So if we like, sum up your, <laughs> what resilience is, well, it's Annie. <laughs> um, but just I another incredible example of like, yeah, but, you know, this shit has absolutely hit the fan and you've come through the other side and thank God. That is true, but really, yeah. what else would I have done? Yeah. I mean, the, and what else would anybody do except yeah. just get on with this? Get on with it. Um, Before we head off, um, you are potentially getting involved in a charity. Do you want to just tell us about yeah, it? Yeah, there's a charity called um, 5K Your Way, and they um, at some park runs, there'll be a 5K Your Way on the last park run of every month usually, and it's for people who have been affected in some way by cancer, and it's just to know that there's going to be other people there who mm. might be having cancer treatment or have had cancer treatment or happy to talk about this kind of stuff if yep. you're a carer or whatever, and you don't have to, I mean obviously park run, you don't have to run anywhere you can walk, but all totally at your own pace and just an opportunity to meet people locally who might be a good listening ear or whatever um so i'm waiting to see if i could start one up locally and so if somebody wanted to learn more about that that's called 5k your way 5k your way well i'm like feel really proud and really emotional and i'm like so honored i guess to be in a position where we were able to support you at some level through Oh yeah, it was br- it was absolutely brilliant. Know, we've got a big group of friends. Some of them we I get to see as well, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, great. But yeah, it's just um, incredible. And thank you, and yeah, thank you to to yeah. Photology and yeah, and like I say, it's just exercise has made a huge difference to how I felt. Reclaiming yourself, the podcast brought to you with PhotologyHub.com. If you enjoyed the conversations. Please use your podcast app to follow or subscribe for free.